0: Protecting your legacy. That's what we're discussing today on The Devil is a Lie.
1: The devil is a lie. Lie. Here's your host, Angel Nicole. The devil is a lie. Lie.
0: Did you know that only three out of ten people actually have end-of-life directives in place by way of a will? That's only 30% of the population. While pondering on this new information, it made me think, why are we so afraid to allocate time and attention to ensuring our loved ones have what they need in order to protect our legacy? Joining me today is the CEO and chairman of First Independence Bank, the seventh largest bank that is Black-owned in the United States. Plus, he's the immediate past chairman of the National Bankers Association. And he also was appointed to the Federal Depository Insurance Corporation, FDIC, to Community Bank Advisory Committee back in 2018. He's also the author of the self help book that helps you preserve your possessions through proper end of life planning. The book is prepared before I let go. Please help me welcome Mr. Kenneth Kelly. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Angel. I'm excited to be here with you today and looking forward to sharing with you and your audience.
0: Okay, awesome. We have so much to talk about, so I really want to dive into gaining an understanding of how you ended up in the banking industry.
1: Certainly, it's a a long story, but I'll try to make it short. And I was very fortunate. I studied engineering in college and spent time with the power company, Alabama Power Company, where I'd actually co-opt. I worked with Georgia Power and also Southern Power Company. And as I was approaching my 50th birthday, it was an opportunity for me to really reflect upon my impact and what I want to do with my life. And so I decided to retire. And just so and behold, uh, a cousin of mine, unfortunately, had passed away a few years before. Uh, He bought this bank back in 1980 and ran it successfully for 34 years. And so uh, we decided to go and help out our family and look after the asset on this. And so it's been a great opportunity for me to really apply some skills I'd learned in business, really at a small business level.
0: So you transitioned into a family owned business. What was it that made you feel like I can be in the banking industry like I can do this?
1: Well, if you like most things, right, if you put the time in and do the study and you could basically, you know, build a skill set at least or build a knowledge base to be knowledgeable. And for me, I spent quite a bit of time looking at it. And um, in fact, there is a book that stayed under my bed um, um that that I really spent quite a bit of time on in understanding some of the details of the industry. The irony is the banking industry is a lot like the utility business that I came from. And so some of the natural tendencies in terms of the principles associated with the business uh, were natural. Uh, Some of the challenges were the cultural pieces, as you can imagine. Working in a large corporation is very different than working in a small business. The resource base is different. Uh, How you think and behave, more family oriented in a smaller business is very different than a corporate. So those were the bigger adjustments that I had to make along the way. But at the end of the day, it was one that became a natural fit given the circumstances that we were in at that point in time.
0: Now, did your husband, your husband, did your cousin (laughs) have... His things in place, where he absolutely knew like who he wanted to pass on the company. Did he have key man insurance so that everything within the the organization was still able to function?
1: Well, th- th- that's a very interesting question. I won't get into the details, but I will tell you yes. At the okay. end of the day, because those things are, um, as you can imagine, when you're dealing with a sophisticated entity, because banking is very sophisticated to be candid, regardless of the size, it has a very unique complexity. Um, it is regulated at the state level and the federal level. And, and even addition to that, the two you just talked about, also the Federal Reserve level. So it has a lot of complexity, requires a lot of background checks, et cetera. But I would tell you those things were not um, an issue in dealing with this. What I would tell you, and the reason that I got into writing the book is that I had seen examples, uh, positive examples of how things should be laid out but most importantly, as we started talking about the wealth gap between African-Americans and Caucasians, what I noticed is the will rate was extremely low. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was an issue that I thought that we could really have an impact on. It's a mission issue for me because this is something we can all take part in. and so. We can get into the details of this a little bit later, but I will tell you, as you can imagine, with a sophisticated asset like a bank and and typically what you find with wealthy individuals, uh, they do escalate beyond just a will. They do trust, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, those are very unique aspects that I don't write about in the book because I was really trying to drive home at the very basic level of being sure that individuals would have a will in
0: place. So before we dive into the book, I do want to stick to kind of the banking part of things, um, because you are the seventh largest Black owned bank, uh, First Independence, out of Detroit, Michigan, which is my hometown, everyone. (laughs) And it's funny, because when I had a conversation with my parents about having you on, they actually had their mortgage um, for the house that they currently live in through First Independence. And so for you, what is it about the importance of having Black-owned banks available in Black communities?
1: Well, let me say this, first of all, please, if you don't mind, share with your parents that we say thank you. Mm -hmm. We do not survive if we don't have customers and individuals like your parents who see the need to support an institution like ours. And so to be candid with you, my business model is very simple. The customer is at the center of the circle of life as we talk about it, which means we don't exist if they're not customers. And so, again, let me say to your parents, thank you so much for their support. What I would tell you is at a high level again the, the federal FDIC and also the Federal Reserve has has done studies on this, and they have demonstrated, and I'm hopeful the audience can relate to this, what I call the secret shopper model, which is if we take the opportunity to put a veil over race in the process, we know that we get different outcomes. And that is the typical secret, secret shopper where you send someone who looks like me in, and you send someone who doesn't look like me, and typically you get different results. Right. Well, there's data to show that that actually happens. And so what has been really uh, proved is that when an African-American goes into an African-American bank, they're more likely to get more assistance in the process of getting a loan, and the probability of their success of getting a loan is a little bit higher. So those things alone demonstrate there's a need for that that little bit of a relationship building as it relates to what we do in the African-American community. Unfortunately, there are only roughly less than 20 of our banks like this across the country. Uh, When you look at the number of banks close to being just shy of 5,000, and so there's a lot of work to be done. We know that the data is there, and we certainly need the support of the community to continue to be effective in ways that we'd like to see the enhancement of African Americans being more financially well, is the way that I would
0: state it. So for me, as a woman, as a business owner, what would be three reasons as to why it would be beneficial to bank with a Black-owned entity?
1: Um, In a bank, you you actually need equity. And that has been one of the challenges in this sector, and particularly for African-Americans. But what I would tell you is for every dollar that a bank has in equity, not a deposit, in equity, that bank is able to multiply that times 10. So let's just say if I had $10 million in the bank in terms of equity, we could do $100 million of loans in that community. And so that's why it's important that we support banks that have an affinity for our for our mission. And in fact, we have as part of our mission and vision is having an affinity for African-Americans to have wealth accumulation. So I would tell you fundamentally, that's it. It's just that simple.
0: One of the things that I really loved about kind of this parallel that you have being in the banking industry, which to me equates to wanting to equip communities with financial literacy financial uh, wellness and success right and then you coupled right. it with this book but is there a space where you know your end-of life directives and banking kind of coexist like do you provide certain information to your banker to have on file for you?
1: Well, the the book is really, I would tell you, separate from banking. I think you're drawing a parallel there, but it really is separate from banking. It, it is fundamentally any everyday person is the audience here. And, and particularly, I would tell you what I have said is this is for people who carry their lunch to work. Uh, the intent of that book is just that basic, and we've written it at a level that hopefully it could be understood.
0: But- I'm sorry. So I'm saying this because yesterday I had a doctor's appointment and the doctor asked Mm. me, do you have your end of life directives in place because you can put them on file here at the doctor's office?
1: So what you just discussed with your doctor is potentially a living will or healthcare directive. And what the doctor is looking for is to be sure that you have the ability to make a decision now of what will be needed if you're incapacitated. The reason you need that living will is that, and I'll use this as an example, one of the things I learned in writing the book, my kids, when they turn 18 years old, they are technically a legal adult. Mm -hmm. And that means that even as a parent, even though they live under my roof and I pay for their expenses while they're in college, I don't have the wherewithal to make decisions on their behalf as an adult. For instance... If they are incapacitated and have a need for medical attention, the decision of life support, feeding tubes, et cetera, doesn't rest with me as their parent. If they write that in a directive that I have that decision, then that is the case. And so what your doctor was asking for is to be sure that you have a living will or healthcare directive, as it's also commonly known, in place such that if anything happens to you, whether it's you know a seizure or, or unfortunate incidentally, shall I say? Because hopefully that doesn't happen, where you can't speak on your behalf, that you have demonstrated the ability for someone to speak on your behalf. And or what decisions you want to be want to have made, whether it relates to resuscitation or not. So that's what your doctor was asking for. That's a living will. That's one document that is needed. Mm-hmm. The second document that is needed is a power of attorney. It is, now the first one assumes you're not conscious enough to make that decision or well enough to make that decision. The second document, while you're living, assumes you're conscious to make the decision, but you're not in position to go and make the decision happen. So let's say that I'm in in the hospital for whatever reason, and I'm going to be there for two weeks, and I need to have some business taken care of at the bank. I can then sign a power of attorney, which will allow someone on my behalf, if the the account is only in my name, they can go and act on my behalf with that power of attorney. Typically, it's called a limited power of attorney because you don't want to give someone complete power of attorney, but you give them limit power of attorney to go and act on your behalf because you can't physically do that. So you're making that decision consciously and and, and you put it in place so someone can act on your behalf. The the last document, which Typically, is kind of the end of life document that you were asking about is a will. And basically, it can be filed to take care of all affairs, all of issues where you can make directives regarding things associated with your bank, regarding property, regarding possessions, et cetera. So the will in, in particular, that's, it, that's its intent such that upon your demise, not if, when your demise takes place, then your affairs are at least articulated. Going beyond that, you can get very sophisticated and create a trust or a living trust. And so I won't get into that because I was, again, my audience here is everyday lunch carrying uh, Americans. And so those three items are needed. And so to your question, interrelating kind of the bank and and all of that, I would tell you those affairs need to be taken care of in spite of just banking. So yes, your bank account, you probably want to have that taken care of, but also your property, um, your cars. Um, any heirlooms you may own or things that have been passed to you in such a manner that they get to your loved ones is the way that we've written that book.
0: I love it. So the parallel for me was just you as an individual and how you've gone into this banking sector. And it's really about helping people and informing people, even in the book. So it was more the humanitarian side of you.
1: Yeah, I call it mission work for me because this is, again, going back to financial Wellness, mm-hmm. as opposed to always talking about literacy. Um, all of our families need to be well. And one of the, when, and I say that from a financial perspective, meaning we need to have education and knowledge. And that's the intent of what we have written here in the book. We also know that, and I can raise my hand, I've seen it on both sides of my family back up the family trees where we have had property that has become what is known as air property. And that typically means that it was not passed properly. And so all of the heirs have an interest in the property at that point in time, which means if you're ever going to do anything with it, you have to have all of the heirs, whether that's first cousins, second cousins or third cousins, uh, somewhat in on that decision making. And a lot of times that's very challenging for families. And so what happens is uh, the taxes may get delayed because no one takes the leadership to be sure that it is paid and it it is lost land at the end of the day because of the lack of interest in it, especially when you have. Um, individuals who have, may have moved north or out west when they had family properties, especially in the south associated with it. or th- to be candid, this can also happen even in the city of Detroit. Um, you know, if someone moves away, it is not passed properly. it could easily become part of, you know, moving through the tax process and someone buys it, you've heard of buying tax property. Mm-hmm. That's how that happens. And so, we're becoming an advocate to be sure that if anyone should have an interest in property, they should certainly be thinking about how do they want to be sure that it passes to their loved ones, as opposed to becoming um, uh, heir property, so to speak.
0: Love it. The devil is a You guys are tuned into the Devil Is a Lie podcast with Angel Nicole. Our guest is Mr. Kenneth Kelly, author of Prepared Before I Let Go. Now I know the book is mission work for you. But what was the impetus behind you deciding, I need to do this. I need to be the change and really creating this into a self-help guide to really educate people on why this is important. And I think you did it in such a candid way um, by using um, examples of celebrities and household names um, to really show why this is important. And how this not only impacts um, the everyday lunch-carrying individual, but the wealthy.
1: Exactly. So I, I would tell you, for me, it was a process of understanding even my own mortality, right? Because while I started on and had documents prepared years ago in this effort... You know, we continue to see headlines of individuals who have it. And let me give a disclaimer. Um, In my book, I write about, yes, a lot of celebrities, but there was one that I did not write about um, Aretha Franklin. And to be candid, I didn't write about anyone in or near Detroit because being in the banking space, our currency is trust. And so I didn't want anyone to think I was making any assumptions or knew any more about any of the people that we wrote about. Uh, Everything we wrote basically was public record and documented. So it was not anything that was uh, should be scandalous. And let me say this. The intent here is not to be disparaging upon any of these individuals that we've written about. The intent is to use this as an education business case just to show here's what happened. Again, it's all public record. Mm -hmm. We just tried to codify it in a way that hopefully people could get it and also relate to it. I even write about some of my own personal affairs in the book to be sure it was relatable. But we also write about individuals who were just, getting everyday working Americans, like the school teacher who worked all of her life, paid for a house, had two kids, died without a will. By the time it goes through the probate process, at the end, they both get the equivalent of about $10,000. Uh, that house is turned around, flipped, and sold for almost $200,000. So Her kids didn't see the upside or even have the potential to receive the upside because those funds were burned in ways that they had no control over. And people um, unknown to that family were making decisions, financial decisions on behalf of them that they had no control over. And that's the the really the impetus for my book. But also to show in one example, we write about O.C.L. McCarthy, which shows. What the power of intention can do. Uh, A lady who was a washerwoman, meaning she just washed clothes for a living. She never owned a vehicle, but she was positioned the latter part of her life to leave $150,000 to the University of Southern Mississippi. Uh, So inspiring that President Clinton acknowledged her, and many others came to fulfill her endowment fully so that it could provide a full scholarship for African-American students at the University of Southern Mississippi. And so what she did in the end that I really like and talk about is the fact that she was asked by a reporter in the midst of this now celebrity that didn't she want to do something or shouldn't she have done something for herself personally with that money? And she looked at the reporter and said, I just did. So it just goes to the, the power of intention and goodwill and what all of us can accomplish if we put our minds to it.
0: So there was no personal story for you as to why you decided to write this book.
1: No, you misinterpret that. I will <laughs> tell you the person the person The personal story for me was uh, the fact of dealing with my own mortality. Uh, what I learned in writing this book is an expression that I share, which is we all know we're going to die. We just don't behave like we're going to die. And so what happens is a lot of times we get caught, so to speak, and then our families are stuck with dealing with the consequences. So for me, it was the maturing. And even after I decided to write it, it took me a while to really mature through getting to that place where I was comfortable knowing that, yes, this is not an if. It is a when. Right. And so what do I need to do to be sure that I am doing the things? And I will tell you again, everything isn't perfect in this process. Right. And so it's one of those where we're learning and we're growing and then we make decisions based on what we have. And so the example that I shared about my kids, that was discovery in going through this process. I didn't know that at eighteen I should have them. Look at signing a living will. Well, I've got one of them. And I say that openly, the other has not yet. Uh, So we we, that's work. This again is ongoing work. But my point is to say that for me, it was coming to grips with my own mortality and thinking about not the conditional love of while I'm here, but the unconditional love that's expressed when I'm gone. How does this and my decisions impact my family?
0: So at what age should you actually get your will in place? Because I'm hearing you say, yo, I had to talk to my kids and say, yo, chop, chop. We need to get this done. Not just me, but you as well. So is it when you're 18? Is it a conversation that we start having with our kids even before they turn 18? <sighs> what should that look like?
1: So I, I would tell you, for me, the comfort was not having the discussion with my kids at 18 about a living will. <laughs> Um, You know, when we talk about mortality, we know this is taboo. It's one of those that, you know, in in some cases, people will say, if I talk about my death, I will cause my death. You know, those are real taboo issues in our culture. And so uh, what I would say, I'm not sure that someone 18 needs to write out a will. If they're comfortable with that and they're at that level of maturity, sure. But really, when you're thinking about a will, you're really thinking about at this point in time, specifically the assets that you have and being sure those assets that you spent, whatever, in terms of energy to acquire them, that they pass in the proper manner. So uh, let me give you an example. If if there's a child who's 18 and for some reason has inherited a sizable amount of assets, yes, they should do a will. Um, If you're a college student, like most of us were at some point in time, and you're probably in debt, you may not see the need to go do that immediately. But the point of the matter is you still should begin to think about those affairs in a manner that you could have some sense of control over how things will happen if there's an unfortunate demise um, that happens to you. So I'm not going to give you a specific number of an answer of, of when someone should do their first will, but I'm giving you scenarios that should create the cause For taking that into account so specifically for me a living will is very important for me to my kids because that's a probability that i certainly don't want to deal with um you know at a point in time to where they will have and start acquiring assets or things or and even if it's small let me be clear about that you don't have to be wealthy to need a will my point is even if you had a five thousand dollar or ten thousand dollar house you need to think about, or $10,000 piece of property of land, you need to think about ensuring that that passed properly. So let me be real clear. This was written for everyday working Americans because, again, you may not think your house is a lot of value, but the reality is it is valuable to your family who will be left behind. And so we want to be sure that that passes properly.
0: So one of the things that I'm hearing is um, I feel like a lot of times the everyday person doesn't feel like there's a need for will because they say, "Well, I ain't got nothing. What, what, what am I creating a will for? That's for the rich people. That's for the wealthy people. What would you say to those people?"
1: I, I would tell you, you have more than you think you have, and you just think about simple things that sometimes we take for granted. Um, you know, I, I would ask you to go and replenish what you have. Put it on a calculator. If something happened, like a fire what would it take to replenish it? And you will find out very quickly you have a lot more than you think you have. I mean, just the pots and pans alone would be pretty expensive. You would think about the clothing that you have would be expensive. And yes, maybe you're not going to put those on eBay as part of an estate sale, but the reality is if you had to replace it, you spend a lot of time and hours accumulating assets or currency to be able to spend on those things. So my point is you have more than you think you have And most importantly, you could think about even if you're not going to have a directive directive to your family members, maybe it's to a nonprofit where they clothe the homeless, et cetera, or the church where you can have and make a difference when you think about the things that you do have. So my point is you have a lot more than you think you have. And if you don't believe that, I would ask you to try to replace all of the things you own within a year and you'll find out that you have more than you think you have.
0: I think sometimes people have a hard time sitting down. And putting pen to paper and executing what it looks like, right? So is it you know a list? is it is there a proper way to write a will? Um, and I think for some people, it can be intimidating because they don't know you know or is it something where you have to go get an attorney and let the attorney do
1: it Well, maybe you're leading me and I don't want to take the bait here on my legacy items, right? I'm a little slow in taking the bait here this morning uh, to the listening audience. She, she's trying to lead me there and I just don't want to go. So let, 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 let me, let me get to it. Let me get to it. She's doing her job extremely well and, and I'm trying to bomb this interview. So here, here's what I, here's what I would say. And I didn't mean to make you laugh, but it's true. So what, What Angel is just asking about is one of the friction points associated with everyday individuals doing a will is the cost. And we were very intentional in writing the book. And as we were writing the book, we were very intentional in looking at how do we lower that barrier? Because everyday working families may not have that extra thousand dollars or two thousand dollars or whatever it may cost for you to get and do a will. We created a technology platform that is compliant in all 50 states. And again, my disclaimer is we're not attorneys, but we created a process where you can do that all electronically well based at a subscription rate of forty nine dollars and ninety five cents per year. So it shouldn't be intimidating if you're able to use uh, a computer to you to do YouTube and Yahoo and Facebook, etc. I would tell you that this application is just as easy to navigate and it will make calculations for you. And so as, as, as Angel was leading me into this discussion and I stubbornly <laughs> didn't want to go there, let me give you examples. You can go in and create all three documents that we talked about earlier. Will, a healthcare directive, and power of attorney. And that's for a husband and wife in a family. So- That capability is there. We've made it extremely affordable. We've democratized it, if I could use that word, meaning it's affordable. When you do that, what you're capable of doing in that platform is listing. If you have a home, you can list that home and, and show its value. If the address is in Zillow, Our program will automatically extract it and show you the value of that home. You could also, if you have debt on that home, meaning you're paying a mortgage, you can upload the mortgage. So someone coming behind you, you will know exactly who you have to pay and the address and all of that associated with it. So they're not going through your drawers trying to figure out or waiting on the mail or trying to find through your email. How do you have contact with your on your mortgage? You could also identify specific items such as your car that you travel in. If you have a car or specific things you may have inherited, including a fur or someone's shotgun or a ring, all of those things can be identified and uploaded in a way which is equivalent to your question, Angel, of making the list. So we have created a product for forty nine dollars and ninety five cents. A year. Extremely affordable year, per year. Yeah. That's correct. And you can also get put the email in of who you want to have have access to it so they don't have to come to your home and figure out where things are. They have a running list of all of your items in such a manner that it is a lot easier to keep up with. Because what we have seen is that sometimes in families where there are uh Properties shall we say, and sometimes that can be small things. The first one that can get to the house that decides to get the china or get the fur or get the you know different other heirlooms that's who gets it and so uh this should eliminate that process, and again, it doesn't matter if you if you make five thousand dollars a year or if you make fifty thousand dollars a year or five million a year uh this type of process will help alleviate the pressure on your family in going through this.
0: I love it. Thank you for taking the bait and <laughs> going there for me. I have to now move the conversation into our devil is a lie moment. Now, this Certainly. is where I asked you to share a place in time that you did not know how you were going to overcome a particular situation. So I'm going to ask you to share what that situation was, how you made it through, and what was waiting for you on the other side.
1: Wow. You know, I'm not sure I was even in the mindset for this one. And, and I would relate it to the book. and uh, But for the grace of God that we were able to get through this moment. So in the book, and I've spoken about this a couple of times, uh, my mother laid on what was technically her deathbed twice. Uh, the first time uh, we did not have our affairs in order. Uh, and to be candid, what I write about in the book, because I want people to be able to relate to this is when you're in the midst of that, you you don't care about things. You you care about your loved one. And so if someone were to say to you, you know what? Um, Yes, I understand your mother is on her deathbed. Doctors can't explain why she's still living. We need to be sure we get a will in place. I mean, you'd probably lose your mind and say some things that you would probably be publicly uh, ashamed to know that you've said it, but that's just probably where the emotions will take you in the midst of that moment. And so we were fortunate enough, of course, we, we were praying through all of that, and we were fortunate enough. She lived longer. She, her health started to, to make a turn. She was able to leave the hospital and, and live for uh, a couple of plus years longer. But the second time we started to see a little bit of the deterioration in her health, uh, we immediately went to go and get a will in place and get right of survivorship on property, et etc that allowed for a smoother transition because she ended up passing six months later or inside of six months of that and so my my point is you know we were fortunate enough to get through that um, you know if if we had lost her that first time, it would have been really really tough in addition to being tough on dealing with other issues associated with it. And so, you know, the death of a, of a mother, I'll tell you, and especially for mine, it, it'd be 27 years um, here in a few weeks next month. And so it's something that never leaves you. And what I would say to the devil is a lie aspect of this is I would hope that every family could be in the position that we were, which was to be able to take care of, some of those affairs that uh, would be associated with the loss in a manner that, again, the grief in itself of the loss is always tough. But I can tell you from my research in the book and speaking with many individuals, having to deal with the fallout when things aren't in order is just as tragic. Um, And so it, it deals with trust. It deals with breaking down sometimes family relationships will never be the same because of that. And so uh, I would encourage anyone listening to this segment to think about that, not just from the aspect of the material possessions, but to deal with the aspect of the relational um, issues associated with what will happen after the loss of that person. And so um, while it it will be tough to hear, maybe you're not going to get what you thought you were going to get, because sometimes we have our own false expectations around what should be left to us as individuals. And you've got to be able to deal with that and not accept that as something that's personal. It was the decision of the person who left it.
0: I love it. That was great. It was a a perfect um, correlation between the topic as well as that moment that we often kind of come face to face with. And you just so happen to have a second chance to make it right and to ensure that your family had everything together so you didn't have major fallout moments. Um, cause one thing I've seen r- plenty of times is that when you lose a loved one, there's anger, there's emotion, there's a lot mm-hmm. of things already in play. And so regardless if they have their directives in order or if they don't, you just want to make it as peacefully through that time. Um, And so I definitely applaud you for the work that you've done um, in creating this app, making it very simple for people to be able to get their things in order. I will definitely be signing up. I think it's very affordable. I think it's something that our community, I think everyone needs it, but especially the Black community, because like you said earlier, there's so much taboo that we have around why we don't need it, That's for not our people, but it is for us. It is for us. It is. So.
1: Well- You've said it well, and I don't know that I could add a lot to it, but I will want to pick up on the themes that were important to us in setting up my legacy items. You mentioned one of the words, peace. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The intent of the information that we're sharing to create what I would call financial wellness within our families and within our community is to create peace. And we have seen, again, the relationship issues that Go through all of the emotions you talked about because that comes with death. And mm-hmm. you're exactly right. But peace is important. The second value is love. So if we love the people we're going to leave, uh, the way we demonstrate that love is not conditional based upon us being here, but should be demonstrated through unconditional, which means after we're gone, uh, being sure our acts are in in order. And then last is the legacy. We will all leave a legacy, right, wrong or indifferent, whether it's, you know, of $5 or $5 million or $50,000, whatever that may be. And I'm not talking about the, the the, currency aspect of it, but the aspect of we will leave a legacy. And so the intent is to be proactive in what that legacy looks like and falling back on what we talked about before of love and peace and being sure that people understand that that's how they will be remembered. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to have this platform to share.
0: How long does it take to upload the information? Now, I do understand It's it's living. So, you know, you can always go in and update new information. But that initial sit down, like how much time should people plan to allocate to getting that information uploaded and filling out your form?
1: I I would tell you for a, you know, a normal family, you could get this done inside of an hour in oh, terms man. of being able to get your major things listed. Now, when you start getting to, when I say major, I'm talking about things like the house, house or the car, car and the, the other, yeah, the major things that you want to take care of. Now, if you want to start going through your, uh, this is going to be a little bit old school album collection or DVD collection <laughs> that you want to lay out, then that that will take a little bit longer. But at the end of the day, you get to determine how you want to do this. So you can do it in stages, which means I want to get my major affairs in order, mm-hmm. dealing with you know bank accounts, the house, uh, the cars, et cetera, and know where those things are going to go that are of value. You can do that in a fairly short period of time. You'd have the documentation. All you have to do is print it out. And depending on the state you're in, because all the state statutes are different, uh, you, you can get it notarized in the way that it needs to be, but it will tell you based on the address you put in, how what you would need to have done, get that notarized and then you're 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 done. You basically have a a live document. Or, you know, again, if you have an attorney and can afford one, you can take it to your attorney and basically save yourself the money of them having to organize it for you. So they're basically looking over and just kind of checking it off, so to speak, and then, you know, signing off on it, so to speak.
0: Okay. So of course this just sparked another question. We're never gonna get out of here. No, but we are (laughs) Okay That's fine. (laughs) In our community. There are a lot of fears around putting our information online. There's a lot of fear in having all of our, you know, the things that we've worked so hard for all in one place and somebody go in and snatch it away. What are your security measures for your platform?
1: Yeah, I would tell you security measures and cybersecurity, if you can imagine, is a big deal, especially in the banking sector. It is also a big deal around issues like this. And what I would also say is I don't have the privy, even as the owner of this company, to see the individual data. You have to have that type of security in place to ensure that the trust factor is one that you can rely on. So for anyone who would consider signing up, this is not an opportunity for Kenneth Kelly to see your value and your worth. That That is not the play here, and it is not even a capacity that I have um, with this. So I want to be very clear about that. But most importantly, what I want to share with you is, in, in a cyber intense world, it is an arms race every day and you have to continue to focus on cybersecurity as an issue. I mean, our banking sector right now is, you know, face challenges as we look around the world, the utility sector. All of these sectors are especially given what's going on in Europe right now and what Russia has been doing has Everyone on high alert. My point is that I I believe that there are the necessary steps and measures in place right now that provide us that security because we know every day someone is trying to crack the code and get that. You're better served by having this in order and in one location and in one place safely as opposed to it being all over the place because that's just the world we live in today.
0: All right, Kenneth, how do people find out um, more information about this application And order your book. Where do they go?
1: Certainly. Uh, We have a website, beforeiletgo.com, www.beforeiletgo.com. That website actually is where you can purchase a book, but it also has some questions on there where you can click. If you don't have a will in place, it will take you to the next site, which is My Legacy Items. And so we named it specifically My Legacy Items because I want everyone to say that when they think about themselves, you have a legacy and those are the items that are associated with your legacy from a possessions perspective.
0: That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for being our guest. This has been a wealth of information, literally, (laughs) around how we need to uh, prepare and make sure that we are leaving our loved ones not with debt and confusion and craziness, but really being able to consolidate everything into a simple location so that they can, you know, grieve, but also have what they need and not feel overwhelmed. Exactly. So thank you so much for that. My pleasure. And for you at home, I hope that you have enjoyed this as much as I have. The Devil is Alive is a production of the Alive Podcast Network. And our engineer is Julio Gonzalez of Zymer.co, music provided by Audio Vibes. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media at Alive Podcast Network. If you are interested in joining the Alive Podcast family, visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com to learn more. We hope that you enjoyed today's show. And remember, there is greatness within you. And if anyone tells you anything different, the devil is a lie. Until next time, be blessed.
1: The devil is a lie.